Amen, beloved. Amen. So if, for those of you who don't know me, which is hard to believe, um, my name, <laughs> you can't do that, Josh. My name is Reggie. I'm one of the elder pastors here, and I am excited to bring or share God's word with us today. So this is my first time using this podium. So Kevin built this, by the way, if you didn't know. Um, I'm excited to um, share with God's word with us today. But before we go any further, I need your help. Um, as you may or may not know, I am the worship guy. Like, worship is my element. Preaching is not. And so every day I ask God, God, stir, stir that spirit in my heart that I can lead your people well. The gospel, the good news, you don't have to be a preacher to know this. You have to be a believer. And so that I am. So would you just take a few minutes, would you just take a moment, would you pray for me? And this is what I need. Would you pray that God would calm my heart? Because I have ADHD and I can be all over the place. Would you ask that God would speak through me and he would use me for his will and his glory? Would you do that? Amen. Now the next thing is, would you pray for us here as the body, as beloved church, would you pray that God would soften our hearts, that he would open our spiritual ears, that we would hear from him as he reveals himself to us through his word? Can you do that for me? Amen. Thank you for that. God, we ask that you move the way that only you can move. Amen. Amen. Beloved, I love this summer series. Um, as we've been walking through the church for three years, this is by far one of my favorite series, and we've titled it Faithful, God's Perfect Provision. And so as the elders had been thinking through the summer and what series we wanted to do, knowing that we had beloved kids in the house. Beloved kids, let me hear you. Beloved kids, let me hear you. I don't know if you guys noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed my girls at front worshiping hard down here. Wow. God is good. But um, the elders, what we wanted to do is we wanted to teach or share um, some of the passages or books or characters in the Bible that maybe it felt a little bit difficult in how God was at work. And so I hope that by the end of this series, you would see God is wired through and through this. It is his ultimate plant and his ultimate provision. So Pastor Kevin, he did a great job last week. He launched us into the book of Ruth. Ruth is one of my favorite books. It is four chapters. I'm not a great reader. No, I'm just kidding. It's four chapters, but it's so rich because you would not expect God in this, but God is fluid and he is at work just like he is in our lives. So one of my favorite things, and if you have not heard Pastor Kevin's sermon, last week we have podcasts, check it out. One of my favorite things that Pastor Kevin did was the kazoos. Can I get a kazoo? Woohoo! If you did not hear the kazoos, it was awesome. All right, so I'm just gonna let myself drift right here for a moment. I was thinking this week, I was prepping this sermon. Yes, God put it in my heart. Pastor Chris, go with me. What do you guys think about having a kazoo audition for a kazoo band to maybe be part of the worship? Wasn't the worship good this morning? The guys did a great job. And so what about having a kazoo part of the beloved worship? So if there's any kazoo rockers out there, Scott, I see you, right? Omar, I see you. Um, after service today, Pastor Chris will have, Pastor Chris, raise your hand so they see you. He led worship. He's amazing. He will have the audition paper. No, I'm just kidding. And here's why. My wife, Miss Jessica, and Miss Courtney, Pastor Kevin's wife, they did not enjoy the kazoos all week because our kids decided to start a kazoo marching band, and all week we had to guess the name of the song. And usually the song was either something with Spider-Man, Happy Birthday, or Star Wars, or Pirates of the Caribbean. Dun, 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 dun. But over and over and over. So we have decided not to do that. 
But Pastor Kevin did a great job with Ruth 1. He introduced us to two main characters, Naomi and Ruth. So just a quick backstory. Naomi is an Israelite. She's an Israelite woman, and she leaves Bethlehem and Judah with her husband and her two sons because of a famine. And they go all the way to the territory of Moab. Now, just a fun fact, Moab, not a fun fact, a sad fact, is Moab is an enemy to Israel. So for them to leave God's providence and to say, hey, God, we believe that you will satisfy our need, they go all the way to Moab and they live there for a few years. And Naomi's husband passes away. So now she's a widow. Her sons marry Moabite women, right? Again, drifting away from the promise of God to marry within because if you marry outside, they tend to change your religion, your gods you serve. A few years later, her sons die. And that's where we sat last week. It was a very difficult place to sit where Naomi is now a widow. She has no one to care for her or protect her, take care of her needs. And now she has lost her lineage, her legacy. And all she has to show for it is widowed daughter-in-laws. And in this time, being a female, being a widow, you're on the bottom of the totem pole. And we sat in that and Pastor Kevin, Kevin led us with this bottom line of, can we trust God or we should be able to trust God, knowing him, that even when we don't know what's going on. And that was the cliffhanger, and I hated it. I hated sitting right there. And so today, the tension that I want us to work with is, who do you turn to as your provider? Who do you go to? Who do you run to when you're in need of something? And so the thought that came to my mind as God was working in my spirit is first impression. So when you meet someone for the first time, you're not gonna say, hey, Kevin, you're a great provider. We don't know. Our first impression tells us a lot about the person. So can, kids, can we pick on some dads today? Is that okay to pick on some dads? All right, so these are my brothers, and they knew it was coming. Anytime I preach, they know I'm gonna pick on them. So can I get uh, Joey Flores? Can I get Andrew Akers? Can I get, um, who's the other guys? Oh, Luke Breer. And then is my other guy here? Where's he at? Andrew, Joey, who is it? I'm, KJ, are you here? All right, so we we'll have to pick on somebody else. Mr. Chris, we're picking on you today. I'm sorry. Because he led worship. So come on down, boys. All right, go ahead and line up here. All right, kids, so what we're going to do, you can line up right on the front stage. So when you think of first impressions, you can't see me. I know that. You can hear me? When we think of first impression, it's usually what we see on the surface level of people. So... Mr. Chris, I'm gonna give you this one. Put the gloves on, I'll give you more to go with that. Oh, gosh. All right, mine's not so bad now. Oh, it gets better. Oh, yeah, here we go. Wait, wait, Chris, we're not done yet. Let me see if I can get this real quick. Uh, here we go, here we go. All right. <laughs> so just at the top, when you're looking at my boys, when you're looking at my brothers right now, they knew I was going to pick on them. Um, they prayed for me. They're my warriors. Um, when you look at Chris, your first impression is, hey, hockey, Canadian sport. You're thinking ice skating. Kevin's probably thinking um, knuckle puck, mighty ducks. You're thinking maybe fights or you're thinking missing teeth. Right? First impressions. When you look at this beautiful man, <laughs> you're probably thinking, I don't know if you love this, this is Nora, she let me borrow the ears, but um, you're thinking Disney World, Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, Fairy Tale, Happily Ever. 
Oh, okay, you guys are present. Good morning. <laughs> Parents, you're probably thinking I'm bankrupt. You're thinking sunburned. You're thinking lines. You're thinking grumpy kids at the end of the night and probably turkey legs. I don't know about you. Ryan, you with me? When you think about my boy Luke, now Luke thought I was going to get him a nice firefighter hat because he's a firefighter. No, you're probably thinking this is the first Spanish word that most Americans know. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> you're thinking maybe street corn. And fun fact, Miss Lisa Rowe does the best street corn there is out there. So if you had no Miss Lisa Rowe, get with her. But you're thinking um, uh, piñatas maybe? <laughs> For the older kids, you're thinking margaritas? No, I'm just kidding. All right, and then we have Joey. And Joey, you're thinking, all right, so he's got the ukulele. You got to play something for us, Joey? It's not tuned. It's just a gift. Okay, you're thinking the late. You're thinking beach vibes. You're thinking um, Jason Mraz, maybe Bob Marley. You're thinking crystal clear water where Reggie's from. Thank you so much, brothers. You can just leave it right here on the floor for me. Can I tell you that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so I want you to think of this right here. A first impression is not the final conclusion. A first impression is not a final conclusion. So we're going to pick up today in Ruth chapter 2. If you have your copy of scripture, I would love for you to follow along with me on your apps. Ruth chapter 2, we're going to knock out chapter 2 and chapter 3 today. And we're going to try to summarize as best as we can through the passages, but we're not going to miss anything important. Are you ready? So coming out of chapter 1, we know that Ruth and Naomi are heading back to Bethlehem and Judah. We know that Naomi is quiet. She is sad. She's in a tough, difficult situation. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, decides to go with her. Ruth is already showing us her faithfulness and her type of character, right? So they're entering Bethlehem, right? They're entering Judah area, and the ladies see Naomi from afar. Hey, Naomi, girl, is that you? Girl, you're looking good. They're not realizing that Naomi has suffered a loss, so she's not eating. She doesn't have a husband, and she's lost her boys, and now she's like, I'm empty. And this is what Naomi says in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, before we get off of chapter 1, Naomi gives herself a new name. Because Pastor Kevin's going to talk about it next week, that who gives us the name is God. So Naomi gives her name bitter, Mara. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And she says, I am empty. Now, many of us can resonate with that. We've walked through life, we walked through seasons in our life where we feel empty, a loss. So Ruth chapter two, let's pick up right there. Ruth chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. It's a great name. So if you have a boy coming, we have a lot of boys being soon. October is a great month, September, October, right, Alex? <laughs> Hopefully Boaz will be in there. Ruth the, Moabitess, <laughs> Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I found favor? Naomi, her mother-in-law, answered, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened wink, wink, winky face there, to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. We all make plans. Naomi made a plan to head back to her territory. She told her daughter-in-laws, hey, go back to your father, go back to your house, because a life of a widow is very difficult. We all make plans. Anybody have plans for lunch today? Anybody want to invite me to lunch today? <laughs> wow, okay. 
But Ruth is intentionally trying to fill a need, a void, an emptiness for Naomi. And what she's seeking to do is her basic needs, food. Would you allow me to go into the field and gather scraps? Scraps are the fallen pieces, the piece that you have to like get like probably a hundred of it before you can actually make bread, you can actually make. So she's like, just allow me to go into the field behind the harvesters, right? So Naomi is empty and Ruth is trying to fill that void. We'll pick up in verse four. Later, when Boaz arrived to Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. That's how we should greet each other. Hey, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. He replied, Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the Moabitess woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me fall, um, gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Um, what's your first impression of Boaz? He seems to be a good leader, right? He seems to be a man that he cares about his property. He cares about the people that work with him. So he shows up and he's going to his managers and he says, hey, tell me about what's going on in the field. Is it looking good? Hey, we got a couple of new people. Who's that girl? She's not, she's not with us. Who's that girl? And he says, we're gonna continue because a good leader wants to know his people. And fathers, those are men. This is key signals to lighten up here that as men, as fathers, we need to be able to be good examples. We need to make sure that we're taking care of what we need to. So in verse eight, then Boaz, again, if you're the manager of your area, if you are a man of your house, God will call us to be a, the center, right, not the center, the head of our household, we need to know what's going on. So he goes over to Ruth. He goes up to Ruth and he says, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Uh, haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? Um, when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Ruth falls down. She says, I, she fell down, face down, and bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you have left your father and your mother from your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. What's your first impression of Ruth now? So she was faithful in chapter one. She's like, mom, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What do you think about Ruth now? Hard worker? She's on her grind. She's got stuff to do. She's got places to be. She's got people to see. And she has intent. Her intent was, how do I fill Naomi's emptiness? And many times it feels like we're doing that. We're trying to fill other people's emptiness. We're trying to fill our own emptiness. So we'll continue in verse 12 and see what happens here. Boaz changes his character a little bit more here for us. Gives us a more picture of Boaz. This is Boaz. He says, may the Lord, in verse 12, may the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Verse 13. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted me and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. This line about being under the wings of God is a line that the Hebrews would use a lot, under the shadow of the Almighty, under his protection. And so Boaz is praying this blessing over her, but I want you to catch this. Boaz is now doing what Ruth is doing for Naomi. 
He wants to provide for her. He wants to take care of her basic human needs. Our basic human needs are safety, protection, and food, right? So Boaz is saying, hey, don't go into a different field. I'll take care of you right here. Don't go um, to another field because I will, I will protect you. Tell the young men not to touch, touch you and then take home food, provisions. Ruth is encouraged. I don't know if God has put people like that in your life that has encouraged you, have encouraged you through your walk in difficult seasons that point you back to him. It's great for me to say, hey guys, you guys look amazing today. Brothers, you look handsome today. But it's something deeper when I say to you, hey, I see that you're struggling. I'm praying for you. Let God use you. You are a great father. You are a great husband. Aim for God's perfection. Don't aim for like your own perfection. Let's live for holiness and righteousness. That's a deeper encouragement, right? Than just, hey, you look great today. Nice job. So verse 14 through 17, I'm gonna just summarize. Boaz welcomes her to his table. He says, eat with our servants, eat with me. He gives her bread, he gives her drink. He allows her to take some home. And we'll pick up in verse 18 through 19. So I want you to read that too, okay? Verse 19, we see here that Naomi heads back to her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with. She said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned the kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, this man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth, the Moabitess said, he also told me stay with my young men until they have finished all my harvests. So Naomi said to her daughter, Ruth, daughter-in-law Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest had finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Boaz switches gears a little bit here. And that word, family redeemer, um, Chris and I love the way they say it, kinsman redeemer. So let me just give you the definition of redeemer. Redeemer is someone who repairs, recovers, restores, saves, exchanges something of greater value for someone who is in need. In the Hebrew culture, a family redeemer was one who would carry on the lineage or the legacy for a family member who had passed. It would be their responsibility to take on that legacy, which means they would have to give up their own. Now, I don't know if you caught this. I, I did a little accent twist on it because of my Caribbean-ness. In chapter two, verse three, it reads like this. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Or you could say, so happened, or by chance, or by coincidence, but church, I hope I'm showing you here that when you look at this, when you look at the picture of Naomi and Ruth being widow, in the class system of this time, they're the lowest of the totem pole. And you can't say that Naomi making the decision to go back after years in Moab to go back to Bethlehem and Judah was coincidence. Air quotes, everybody. Can you guys do the air quotes with me, kids? You can't say that, oh, Ruth decided, you know what, I'm going to work can I go out there and work in somebody's field? And you can't say by coincidence, by chance, she happened to be in Boaz's fields, who happens to be an awesome man, a man who has not forgotten the commands to take care of the widows and the least of these. You can't also say by coincidence, he also happened to be Naomi's family, and by coincidence, he also happens to be a family redeemer. Guys and girls, when you think about life, 
All right, there's certain things that we get, but there's certain things that it's not luck. And this is showing you time and time again that God is at work because he has a masterful plan. He has a story. So it's not by coincidence that Naomi met Ruth, Ruth met Boaz. Again, our first impression of Ruth and Boaz maybe was a little bit off. Would you agree? You wouldn't have expected that because our first impression is not the final conclusion of that. So we pick up in chapter three. In chapter three, we're gonna summarize even more, but verse one through four, I wanna read it to you. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? It's a great mother-in-law. That's a great mother that wants the best for her daughter. Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floors, but do not let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do next. Naomi now is starting to make plans, right? She starts making plans and she says, Ruth, I want to take care of you. You've been taking care of me. What about Boaz? And so because we have little ears in the room, we're going to summarize this part, verse 5 through 9, all right? Ruth does exactly what her mother-in-law says. She goes down and she uncovers Boaz's stinky feet because he's a farmer. He's working in the field. So I don't know about you ladies, probably not going to do that. And I want to believe that this is honestly the first time in history that a woman proposes to a man. And we're going to find out right here. So in verse 9, Boaz awakens from his sleep. This is midnight. He wakes up. So he asks, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. All right, and this is the proposal. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Did you guys catch that? Take me under your wing. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz prays that blessing over Ruth by saying, may the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wing you have come for refuge. Boaz switches gears a little bit here. And as we continue in chapter 3 and next week in chapter 4, you will see in essence, Boaz is basically, basically saying, yes. I want to give you provision. I want to provide for you. I want to protect you. But let's dig deeper. So in verse 12, he says to her in chapter 3, verse 12, yes, it is true. I am a family redeemer, but there's a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that is good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Boaz now wants to redeem Ruth. And this is where it gets very crazy because there is another closer. And like I shared with you, when you think about the redeemer, it has to be somebody in the family. Verse 16 through verse 18, Ruth goes back to Naomi and shares everything that Boaz said. So if you're reading verse 16, she went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and asked, what happened, my daughter? That, then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her she said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Again, wants to fill her emptiness. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. Resolves. Find a resolution. Redeem. Church, 
we make choices, we make decisions, we make plans each and every day. But do we turn to God as the ultimate provider? Remember that tension, who do you turn to? Do we turn to God as the ultimate provider and ask him, God, what should I be doing for this situation, big or small? Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 reads, you know it, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's decoration. Plans for a well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. This is the Lord's declaration for us, for a future and a hope. Because God's provision for today is sufficient to sustain you for all that you would experience and all that you would need for today. For God is fully aware of everything that you would experience. God wants to provide for you the needs for tomorrow at exactly the right moment and not a moment earlier and not a moment late. Church, this is the beautiful picture of the gospel. And this is what we get out of chapter two and chapter three. That my plans, to be honest with you, my plans will never be good enough. I will never be enough. My job isn't enough. My accomplishments aren't enough. And here's the best part. Because of the gospel, because of the good news, I don't have to pretend like I have it all figured out. Because you know what, beloved? We don't. But when we turn to God, what we've seen in this is that freedom, redemption starts when you realize that I am not the answer to my problems. Weight lifted. Wow, Reggie, that wasn't very profound, but that, yeah. I, that's what God told me to tell you. Because when you understand who Jesus is, when you understand that he's the only one that can satisfy your soul, knowing Jesus, the one who can complete you, heal you, redeem you, empower you in your emptiness, in your brokenness, church, Jesus is the fullness of life. Remember that line I was saying earlier? A first impression is not the conclusion. But with our God, he has the conclusion because our God has the final word. He has the final say. So here's our bottom line. Alex, can you throw up our bottom line? Redemption is in God's ultimate providence. Redemption is in God's ultimate providence. If we think of providence and provision, God wants to provide for you. He does. Just like the lilies, he clothed the lilies. And he takes care of the sparrows. How much more does he do for you, the ones that created in his image? And so, redemption is in God's ultimate providence. We have to take it back to the beginning. I'm talking way, way, way back. I'm talking about Eden, church. I'm talking about Adam and Eve who felt like they needed something more. And this caused sin to enter. And it caused a ripple effect through all humanity, through all generations that would feel like they need to fill this void or this emptiness. It would happen to Abraham and Sarah who would feel this emptiness. It would happen to Rachel who would feel this emptiness. It would happen to Naomi and Ruth who would feel this emptiness. Church, we would feel this emptiness. But God in his perfect provision in his faithful love to us, had an ultimate plan and an ultimate promise saying that through Eve, through her lineage, through her child, I will bring about a redeemer king. I will bring about redemption once and for all to fill 
more than just the surface level emptiness, the deep, deep emptiness. Although Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth, Boaz only pointed us to the greater redeemer that would come to redeem humanity and the world. Ultimately, Jesus would come through the line of Boaz and Ruth. We talked about it earlier, the Kingsman Redeemer. It's one of our favorite lines, the Kingsman Redeemer. It had to be part of the family. Can I tell you that Jesus left his throne? Jesus left the perfect family to come and be part of the human family. If you were a redeemer, you had to be willing to redeem. Jesus came willingly. You had to be able to pay a redemption, a cost that was so high. And guess what? Jesus paid it with his life. You had to redeem completely because in real life, there's no partial redemption. Jesus paid it once and for all. Happy Father's Day. And when you think about God and you woke up this morning, I hope you said, God, thank you for being a good father that loves us, that loves me. A good father doesn't just leave anything for his children. My dad is here today. I didn't know he was going to show up, so I'm not going to cry. My dad is here today, and I know he doesn't want to just leave anything for his boys. He wants to leave everything. And when you think of God, who is perfect in every day, my dad, he's here, I can tell you. My dad has failed me many times, and he used to be a pastor. I failed my kids. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. I failed them multiple times. I'm not good enough. My dad will never be good enough. But God is. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And that's what I hope you get. Above this story, the gospel, the good news, that when God gave himself, he gave everything for you. This is the ultimate sign of love. This is the ultimate sign of redemption because he is everything. So just like my boys that I dressed up today, my brothers, and they're going to get mad with me later today and probably beat me up. When you see the outward appearance of your circumstances, the first impression of the season, the difficulty that you're walking through, sit in it, mourn, and then give it over to God. Don't stay there. Point your attention back on God. Because it is during those circumstances that you remember or should be reminded of who is your provider. It's God, church. Remember, he has a promise for you to provide more than just your basic daily needs. His ultimate plan is redemption for eternity. Eternity with him is everything. So let's see that today. Redemption is in God's ultimate provision. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you loved us so much that you would give your one and only son for us, God. We ask that you um, would speak to our hearts, God, and that if we need to forgive our fathers the lack thereof, God, and that we would turn our attention to you as the ultimate provider, as the ultimate source, God. May we be encouraged that you are faithful, that your providence is true. God, we give you everything because you are everything. Thank you for your love.